glad to be here, and I thank you very much again for the invitation to come. Now, turn in your Bible with me this morning to the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, in that direction, and I want to read one or two verses from the chapter number 10. Hosea and chapter 10. Run your eye down the chapter to verse number 5 of, the, of this very remarkable prophecy of Hosea. Chapter 10 and verse 5. The inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of beth Even. For the people thereof shall mourn over it. And the priests thereof shall rejoice on it for the glory thereof because it is departed from it. It shall be also carried on to Assyria for a present to King Jarob. Ephraim shall receive shame and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. I think you'll notice this is a chapter of great seriousness. Verse 7, as for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. The high places also of even, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills fall on us. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the day of Gabeah. There they stood. The battle in Gabeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. And Ephraim is as a heifer that is taught, and loveth to tread out the corn. But I passed over her fur neck. I will make Ephraim to ride. Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his claws. Now note this verse. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Note the seriousness of the next verse. Ye have plowed wickedness. Ye have reaped iniquity. Ye have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. And so on. We'll end our reading there today. The Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his precious and inspired word. Whenever Campbell Morgan 
was writing his remarkable commentary on the book of Hosea. He gave it the title, The Heart and the Holiness of God. If you read the prophecy, and I would encourage you to do that, because it speaks loudly, not only then, but now, to the hearts of God's people. You will find the heart of God is there, and you'll find the holiness of God is there. And they're both to be found in a clear and in a distinct balance. You cannot have God's heart without his holiness. The two are essential. You cannot have God's holiness without his heart. The two cannot be divided. Where there is one, there must always be the other. That's something well worth considering. But as I read through this remarkable prophecy, friends, some time back, there were certain statements made by the prophet Hosea which wounded my own heart. And of course, if your own heart is wounded, then surely there must be something for the hearts of others. If I or any other come to this pulpit, bring a message to you that hasn't first affected them or me, then that message will not go very far of anywhere at all. But if it grips the preacher and he comes with his heart stirred with what he has personally read and learned, then I'm sure there will always be something for others. I noticed in the 12th verse of this chapter that five things are mentioned. Now, I'm going to read it again, point them out, and I'm not going to deal with them all today because I feel there is one that I need to bring to you in the gathering this morning. Number one, sow to yourselves in righteousness. Way with the sin among the people of God. So righteousness. If you read the history of Israel in this book, they had defiled themselves terribly, terribly, and they had forgotten about the all-seeing eye of God. Hosea goes on, number two, reap in mercy. In other words, if you do what's right, God will be merciful to you and you will reap a good harvest. The third thing is this. Break up your fallow ground. The fourth, for it is time to seek the Lord. Boy, am I glad to hear that you're keeping on praying. God's people have lost the art of laying hold of God in prayer. Preachers in the north of Ireland are tripping one another, but prayer warriors are few and far between. They certainly are. 
The final thing was this. Keep at it till he come and rain righteousness upon you. So the verse begins with righteousness and it ends with it. There will never be a substitute in the reckoning of God for what we might call the holiness or the righteousness of the Almighty. That is a mighty verse indeed. But I want to come to this center one. Break up your fallow ground. And I had to do a little bit of searching, if you like, to find out what this word fallow actually meant. Now, I know that there's farming folk in this meeting this morning, and when it comes to breaking up ground or any, of any sort, you would probably be streets ahead of me. But I just couldn't understand what the word follow meant. So I got down, uh, boy, I'm way back in the ards. I've been down in the ards there where I come from. They don't talk about down, they talk about doon there. If you use fancy lingo down there, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. I have to reverse things, so I'm, I'm at it here. It's the word down I'm talking about, not doon, you see, in case I've confused you. But I had to get down a good Bible dictionary. And here's what they said the word follow means. Land that has lain a year or more untilled or unsown after having been plowed. Now what farmer would plow a field and then do nothing with it? Who would do that? So Hosea is taking a symbol here. He's looking at ground that had been plowed and for a year it had lay dormant. And he's saying to these uh, believers, or if you like, the people of Israel, you need to return and you need to do it again. You need to break up, tear apart, get into that follow ground as if you meant business and sow seed that is going to benefit you for both time and eternity. That's the idea behind the statement, break up your fallow ground. I wonder, as you look in this morning, as I'm doing just now, is there any ground that you have plowed in your life where you intended to sow seed and you've never actually got round to it? Something has crept in. The enemy has come. Your path has been diverted in another direction. And the land, the ground you plowed and intended to sow is fallow. It's lying waste, useless, and fruitless. And God is saying to you in this meeting this morning, you need to break it up again. You need to turn around. You need to get back. You need to do things not your way, but my way. Now, what I saw in this 
I have no chance of getting it over to the meeting in total this morning. Because when I began to think about it, there were four mighty things came before my mind. And I'm going to give them to you now, and I want to labor the first one, maybe a little into the second. The first type of fallow ground would be the level lands of love. That's number one. Number two, there are the pleasant plains of prayer. The third, the special streams of service. And the fourth, the personal proving of power. Not much power around at times. I was having a mission some years ago, quite a wee while now. The brother and I that were engaged in this meeting and in this mission were getting things tough. There are times when that does happen. Whenever I was totally committed to evangelism, and I was for over 20 years, you always waited for that mission that would have broken your heart. Or that night in a mission where you seem to get nowhere in the preaching of the gospel. Strangely, that was normally the night that something happened. You see. But my friends this morning, I want you to think about this fallow ground. And I want you to come to these level lands of love that maybe were once there. But today, they are not. What about your love for the Savior? Let me begin with that one. If you go back to the moment of your conversion, when God saved you, when God forgave you, when God cleansed you in the precious blood of the Lamb, when God brought you to know Christ in a personal and eternal way. It was a wonderful, wonderful day. Day I shall never forget. And I don't know about you, but in this community here, I'm perfectly sure for a time you would applaud it gladly for God. Why? Because you really loved the Savior. But I wonder, has that waned? Now, let me illustrate. When you come into the early part of the book of the Revelation, in chapters 2 and 3, you have the seven churches there. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, I believe you take the seven of those together. If you got a good map down of that particular time of Asia Minor, you would find that they form a rough circle. And you see the Lord right in the midst there is the Lord in the midst of the church. And he's like a monarch going up and down the ranks of an army He's commending and he's condemning where necessary. 
And if you put the seven of them together, you'll get a picture of the church age. The remarkable thing is, we're in the Laodicean age today beyond a shadow of a doubt. The word Laodicea, it means the rights of the people. Of course, today, you have people doing what's right, and it's called wrong, and you have others doing what's wrong, and it's called right, and the Laodicean age is upon us beyond a shadow of a doubt. But the very first church is Ephesus. And if you had come to the Ephesian community or area, and you've been looking for somewhere to go, Ephesus would have delighted your heart. Whenever the Lord talked about them, I'm not going into it this morning, but you have a look at it yourself. I know thy works and so on. And everything is good. And the Lord commends them for it. And you see, if you're doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, God will never rebuke you. God will encourage you to get on with the job. And God will bless you abundantly. The Ephesian church seemed to be an ideal spiritual home. But you see, friends, it's so easy to be outwardly correct and at the same time inwardly corrupt. Can I say that again? It's so easy to be outwardly correct and at the same time inwardly corrupt. And that was the problem at Ephesus. It came in there in the early apostolic days of the church. Sadly, it has never left us. It's still there to this very day. What is the problem? The Lord commended them, yes. Patted them on the back, if you like. They were running well. They were doing good. But then he speaks. Nevertheless, in spite of all that. Now in our Bible, our great King James Version of the Bible, which I love dearly, you get wee words in italics, they're tilted to the side. That means they're not in the original. They're put in by the translators to help the meaning. Sometimes they help it, sometimes they hinder it. There's one in this statement that ought not to be there, and that's the word somewhat. The Lord said to them, I have somewhat against thee. It ought to be read, I have against thee. It's not a somewhat at all. It's a very serious issue. And in the midst of all that was going on in Ephesus for the glory of God, the Lord said, I have against you. What is it? Something that he alone could see. You've left your first Love. Now the word left there is a remarkable word. It means to look at something. Just look at it. Lay it down and observe it. 
and then turn around and deliberately walk away. That's what the Ephesians had done. Have I done that? Have you? Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Do you love the Savior the way you used to do? I would say to you this morning, if my answer to that is no, and if your answer to that is no, then you need just to stop and get back to where this all happened and take a look at what it was you put in front of your love for Christ because it has become an idol in your life. Can Christians have idols? Of course they can. The Christian church is full of them. And they don't need to be statues in the corner. They can be statues in the heart and in the life. A husband could make a business an idol. A wife could make a home an idol. It does happen. I've seen it over and over again. And somehow, the returning to the first love never seems to happen. Is God speaking to you, to me, to all of us? Is he looking at your love for him? And he's saying, dig up, break up your fallow ground. Get tore into that. Get rid of what's hindering you from loving me first. Break up. Your fallow ground in love for the Savior. You know, whenever the Lord Jesus was here in this world, the Lord Jesus said a lot of very, very remarkable things. He spake as one having authority and not as the scribes. And never man spake like this man. But here's what he said to the disciples one day. A new commandment I give you. This is commandment number 11. It came directly from the mouth and the lips of Christ. And what was it? That ye love one another. Now here's the bit. As I have loved you. I wonder how we're getting on with that one. I'll maybe say more about it in a minute or two. But do you see the standard there? And I daren't lower it. And if any preacher dared to lower that, my friends, it would be absolutely fatal in ministry. As I have loved you. Is it possible for me to love the Savior like that? I well, he wouldn't have said it if it wasn't. As I I've loved you. As you sit here this morning and later going to the table of memories to remember the Savior, is your heart burning with love for Christ? I cannot understand why it is that as soon as the final amen is given, now I'm in a sort of position this morning where I can say things and maybe get these boys into a row, but nobody's been talking to me. Why is there always a beeline for the door rather than break the bread and drink the wine, remember the Savior? To me, that's the most important part of the service. 
and the most important part of the day, this do in remembrance of me. I want to tell you, brother, I want to tell you, sister, it's a test of your love for Christ. It really is. If you love him, you'll stay. This do in remembrance of me. Now, there may be other reasons that I'm not aware of why you can't. That's acceptable. But it needs to be acceptable to God, not to me. Do you love the Savior? The way you did. Break up your father ground. What about your love for the saints? That touches a raw point sometimes, doesn't it? A love for the saints. To live above the saints you love. Well, that will all be glory. But to live below with saints you know can be quite a different story. So it is from time to time. But you know, let me say this to you, friends. Let me quote that verse. I've quoted it already. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's not a request. It's a command. Now look, the Lord didn't say, a new commandment I give you, that you like one another. Oh, no. Some of God's people, you couldn't like them if you heard them. Isn't that the truth? But there's this overriding principle. It's the principle of love. And it's not a request. It's commandment number 11. The Lord orders you to do it. To love one another. Thinking about that driving up in the car this morning. I remember a situation, friends, that I got myself into. Sometimes we preachers get ourselves into situations you'd be far better running a mile. You know, but you do your best for people and you try to help them. And this was a couple who had got married and they'd fell out just about every way you could. And the families asked me if I would go along and see if I could bring about some kind of a reconciliation. Now, I'm not going to tell you how it all worked out because you might know who I'm talking about. But I thought it was best, first of all, that I talk to them separately before I talk to them together. You see, because I wanted to know if they both were on the one line as far as the problem was concerned. Or was I going to get hit up the teeth with something I maybe couldn't handle? I didn't want that. So I had a chat with him first. I took him back to his wedding vows and I said, Sir, you promised to love this lady with all of your heart for all of your life. And he looked at me, and you talk about getting a clout in the ear. He said to me, love her? He says, I don't even like her. And I thought, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. Just what I needed to hear. What a place to begin. Bring that into the fellowship this morning. You're not told to like them. And if you don't like them, God forgive you. Because they're in Christ. That's where the difference lies. You're told to love them. Do you love the saint? Maybe they rub you the wrong way. 
Man, God's people can do that. If ever there was a people on earth who should know how to bury the hatchet without burying it in each other, it's God's people, but they never seem to have learned. Never. But what about your love for the saints? You see, friends, love is the oil that keeps the assembly going and keeps it going smoothly. Many years ago now, I was invited to preach at a particular church in Belfast. And I was talking to a brother one day and relating to him the fact that I was going there for the first time. What an introduction I got to these people. He told me, he says, look, there's a prayer meeting, there's a door just like this at the side of the pulpit, and there's a prayer meeting in there before the meeting, and you make sure you go there because it'll fire your soul the way these people can pray. But then he said this to me, as you go through the door, on the wall in front of you, there's a picture. You take a good look at it. I remembered that. Now, what he didn't tell me was that there were three steps down into the prayer meeting. And they got some introduction to me. I was so busy looking for this picture, I never seen the steps, and I went into the prayer meeting head first. I thought I was killed. Head first into the prayer meeting. That was my introduction to that place for the first time ever. But listen to what was on the picture, wee minute. Maybe I've told you this before, I don't know, but it bears repeating. If all of my assembly were just like me, what kind of an assembly would my assembly be? That's what was on the picture. Would there be a bunch of gurners complaining and yapping about nothing? Would you get them among God's people, you see? Or would they be a people who love one another? As I have loved you. Say they're one or the other. And it can do a terrible harm, you know, if you get it the wrong way. You say, what do you mean? I remember having a mission one time. It wasn't all that terrible far from here. And there was a mother and a daughter attending the meetings. And in the middle of the second week, they just stopped coming. I couldn't understand that. But not knowing them or where they lived or anything of the sort, I could do nothing about it. The whole of that next week, they never were there. They had come every night up to the middle of the second week. And then they just vanished. But in the middle, of, at the commencement of the third week, I happened to be walking through the area one day and I bumped right into them. And I said to the two of them, it was lovely to see you out at the mission. I said, I'm just kind of wondering why you haven't come back this last number of nights. The lady said to me, would you like to come in for a wee cup of tea? I said, okay, I'll do that. So I went in with them. Then I came back to the question. I said, why have you not come back to the mission? She said, the last night we were there, 
You talked about if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I said, yes, that's what we need. I, but she said, two people who are members there live beside me. And one of them's a deacon. And she said, what you were saying, they were the very opposite. And we couldn't work that out. But I tell you, friends, it wasn't 10 minutes till I was on their doorstep. And I wouldn't like to tell you what I said to them. I wasn't praying anyway. I was mad angry when you put the souls of men in despair because of some daft notion that you may have. It's unbearable. Unbearable. Where there is no vision, the people perish. My time's away. What about your love for the sinner? You ever weep over the erring one? Lift up the fallen? And tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Now, I can say things this morning because a fellow said to me one day after I was supposed to retire from pastoral work, what's the difference between then and now? I said, the difference is I can get into your pulpit this morning, say whatever I like, and leave you to tidy up the mess. Oh, he says, don't be doing that. I said, no notion of doing it at all, but I was only teasing him. But you've just had a tent mission for five weeks. If you were on every night, that's 35 nights. I wonder how many nights you were there. I wonder how many nights you brought a poor sinner to the mission. Now, don't you try to tell me that in 35 nights you couldn't find one person in this area to bring to the gospel mission. Don't tell me that, because I don't believe you. The truth of the matter is you never bothered to try, because people can drift on to hell if they like, and the majority of God's people couldn't care less. I was listening to a man preaching this week, and he's a man with a true missionary vision, and he said this, and it struck me, only 3% of the people who profess to know Christ in Northern Ireland ever lead another soul to Christ. 3%. 97% never bother their head. Now that's striking. My friend, you're left to evangelize. It's not all to be left to the pulpit at all. It's left to you. Go ye. There's a go in God. There's a go in go. You can see that. There's a go in good. One could go on. It's all commendable. And finally, because I was to be finished five minutes ago, what about your love for the scriptures? God's precious word. You're breaking up your fallow ground today. You're taking a look at that which was there in the past. You had it all dug up and you wanted to do your best and you were going to do this and that. You never got around to it. God is speaking to you today. He says, let's get away back there. Let's break up this fallow ground. Let's have done with the nonsense. Let's see your life changed and become a challenge 
to everybody around you. I feel we should have a quiet moment just before the Lord. Let's just bow our heads together. Maybe God has been speaking to you in a very remarkable way today, friend. I just don't know. God is able to take his word and send it more ways than any preacher had ever dreamed of. He could be doing that just now in your life. He's showing you this fallow ground needs to be handled. I wonder what you're going to do. I want to shift these idols in your life. Get back to what you once were. And ask the Lord to restore unto you the years, the locust, and the canker worm of Eden. Maybe there's a poor sinner here. Don't think for one moment, friend, that God doesn't love you or that we don't. Because we certainly do. Christ died for you. If you come as a sinner to the Savior today, the Savior will take you in. We'll just have a quiet moment together. Lord, we ask thee to take what has been of thyself today and bury it in every one of our hearts. And what has been of man, may it be both forgiven and forgotten. As we move to the table of memories today, may the shades and shadows of Calvary fall across every one of our lives. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.